With Dune 2021 behind us and a future packed with Dune goodies, we are pushing our prescient powers to the max and looking ahead to all the great Dune content we're getting in 2022 and beyond. Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name's Leo. And today's episode is a little different. Right. Not our usual. Yeah. But I am just as excited, Leo, for today's episode <laughs> as I am for every other. You know, the idea for today's episode came out of conversations I've had with friends who just saw the Dune movie, right? And haven't read the book, you know, haven't really been plugged into the world for a while. Yeah. And I go, oh man, aren't you excited for X, Y, and Z? And they go, I had no idea that was happening. Right. They're like, I'm still back on A, B, C. <laughs> right. You know? There's so many letters. God. <laughs> I'm, I'm like 22 letters behind you. What's going on? Right. So... This episode, to be clear, is going to be for you. If you're listening, you saw the Dune movie, or you're a long-term Dune fan, but maybe you aren't totally up to date with all of the things to come. Right. We're going to be looking at what the future holds for Dune, without spoiling future Dune goings on. Yeah, exactly. Basically, if you're not plugged in to the Dune universe as much as we are, <laughs> right. there is a lot of news and content and extended lore stuff that you might miss out on because Warner Brothers and the folks behind the Dune franchise are like, wait a second, there's a lot of money to be made here. Let's get that bag. So there's a ton of Dune stuff coming out in 2022. And then of course, Dune part two in 2023. And so we wanted to sort of end the year on an episode looking ahead. Right to what we can expect as Dune fans and what goodies we're all going to get and consume. And probably you and I, Leo, will talk about a lot of these things <laughs> on the podcast. Uh-huh. On that podcast we have. <laughs> I think it's also worth noting, like, this is a great time to be a fan of Dune. Yeah. Granted, Abu and I might be a little bit biased, a tiny bit, a little bit biased, but Dune is great. Right. And it really does feel like a bunch of executives in a room went, wait a second, is this fucking story really good? <laughs> like, <laughs> wow, we can get a lot of money out of this. Yeah. Which, you know, we're happy just to get more Dune stuff. But before we get too much into it, let's take care of our housekeeping as quickly as possible so we can talk about the future of Dune. Yeah, definitely. You all know the drill. We know the drill. Let's just do it. <laughs> yeah. So first and foremost, a huge thank you, as always to our patrons. Yeah. It is because of their support that we get to make this show week after week. Right. And a special shout out to two patrons in particular, our Kwisatz Haderach level members, Case Aiken and Nate Hyde. Their generosity, plus the generosity of everyone who is a patron, who shares the show, who listens every week, helps us do what we do on this podcast week in and week out. <laughs> and we are eternally grateful. Yeah, it means everything. Thank you. Seriously. We also have some sweet Dune merchandise available at gomjabarshop.com. So if you want to wear shirts that reference things that people don't get yet, but will get in 2023. Right. <laughs> that's a good website to check out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a great sales pitch. Wonderful. And of course, we love to hear from you. Podcast at gmail.com. That's the email. You've heard it before. We've said it before. That is the best way to get in touch with us just to say hello or let us know any episode ideas you have that we should do on the podcast going forward or send us your Dune memes. We love getting Dune memes. Oh, they're so wonderful. Send all of that to Podcast at gmail.com. Side note. Yeah. If you do become a patron, you will get access to an exclusive Discord server. Mm-hmm where we hang out with patrons and it's a great way to geek out with me and Leo more directly yeah. and hang out with other geeks and Dune fans. Right. As a final bit of housekeeping, spoiler notice for today, as I hopefully made clear right at the top, if all you've seen is Dune Part 1 by Villeneuve, 
you are 100% safe today. Yes. We are going to talk in very broad strokes about what's next for Dune, but nothing about the plot. Right. Just putting that out there, making that clear. Now, no promises about spoiling other plot details. Oh, sure. Snape totally kills Dumbledore and Palpatine comes back. Oh. Sorry. What? Ah, oh, man, <laughs> I hadn't finished My Little Pony yet. Damn. I'm going to have to go back and what? read them. My know. Little Pony it has gone in directions I did not know. <laughs> Listen, it starts off cute, but it gets menacing pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I feel like it stays cute all the way through. Yeah, probably. Anyway. Before we get too far off the rails, the pony rails, <laughs> let's talk about the episode. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode. That's right. So let's jump into the first section of today's episode. We want to revisit Dune Part 1 and share some of the incredible emails and messages we've gotten from listeners who listened to our <laughs> epic three and a half hour long <laughs> analysis slash review slash breakdown of the movie. And point out some details that even in those three and a half hours, we didn't notice. Right. In our discussion. Right. Or, you know, things have become more apparent and more obvious as time has passed and as we've been able to go in and freeze frames and do research. Right. It's really, there's there's a level of detail to this movie that is honestly offensive. <laughs> Just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. And one of those first details, and we did bring this up in our review. Yeah was Gurney Halleck's tiny little book. So roughly 35 minutes into the Villeneuve film, House Atreides is arriving on Arrakis. There's right, that scene right. where everyone's landing and arriving. Yeah. And Gurney is shown for just a split second reading this very, very, very small book. So yeah, I paused. I looked at the book. I picked out some kind of German words. And I assumed, like many Dune fans, that this was a German text of the O.C. Bible, right, which is like one of the most formative religious texts in the universe of Dune. And Gurney is, is known to quote it. So I was thinking, oh, yeah, Gurney's reading the O.C. Bible. So what we did, Abu, is we put out a call to kind of German speakers and right. we got a couple of responses that are honestly incredible. Yeah. We also sent it to Angela Merkel in case, but she, she didn't get back to us. She never does. She's a busy lady. She's been ghosting me for years. <laughs> Angela, I'll never forget that evening we had in Tuscany. <laughs> She's moved on, Leo. Just forget it. No, I can't. Nine, <laughs> as she would say. Nine. Right. Now, the responses we did get were from two of our listeners, and we want to share both of them because right. you all are out here doing some amazing research work. Yep. So the first email from our listener, David Carter, says this, quote, I had noticed the book and also assumed it to be an OC Bible. Right. But upon checking out a screenshot on HBO Max, I jotted down and Googled some of the quotes. This is what I found. It's by Johann Arndt, a Lutheran theologian who lived from 1555 to 1621, an incredibly volatile time at the very beginning of the Protestant Reformation. I'm sure Denis Villeneuve had a very good reason to include this, but I have to say that the word wormy <laughs> jumped off the page for me. Here's the passage that surrounds it. And then his email goes on and shares that German passage in its entirety, which translates roughly to, quote, Oh, have mercy on me. For I recognize that I am nothing without you, nothing but darkness and error, nothing but rotten carrion and food of worms, an unclean vessel, a child of scorn and eternal damnation. End quote. I say that to myself every night before bed. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, you know, you say that before you eat, right? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man, that's some heavy text. That's a lot. Yeah. But the food of worms. <laughs> Right. Yeah. The the worm imagery is pretty on the nose and obvious there. But it's interesting that Denny would choose to include this German passage and have it in German in the film. I mean, by my count, we see what, like four people in this movie get eaten by worms. <laughs> so right, right. it is amazing to think about Gurney arriving on planet Arrakis, revisiting this prayer that is about being the food of worms. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. incredible stuff. Those people just weren't praying enough, is <laughs> my analysis of that. I think the amount of prayer and the likelihood of being eaten by Shai Halud is pretty, pretty linked, yeah. probably. Strong correlation. And causation. <laughs> the next email we got, and to be clear, we actually got this email first from uh, Sven Gerdike. I think that's how you say your last name. Sven. Pretty good job. I think so. Yeah. Thank you. Sven's email was, by a margin, one of the most thoroughly researched emails we've ever received. Yeah. it's It was honestly intimidating. I opened it, looked at it, <laughs> and immediately closed it. Because I was like, I honestly don't have four hours in my day to read this. Put a pin in that. Come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you texted me and were like, hey, you've got an email. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> hey, someone named Sven specifically wrote to you, Leo, if you could go ahead and read that. <laughs> we, uh, I didn't see him address me specifically. I just see three pages of text. Um, anyway, we joke, but honestly, it was an incredible, incredible email. And uh, let's summarize his findings. So like David, Sven found immediately that it is by uh, Johann Arndt or uh, Johann Arndt, maybe the German Lutheran theologian. Johann wrote a collection of four books called True Christianity between 1605 and 1610. And there, in addition to those four books, were kind of supplemental kind of prayers and writings and, and other things that were later kind of bundled and published together in later editions. Gurney is reading not one of those mainstream four books that we've all read, True Christianity. No, no, no. Gurney is reading us one of those supplemental prayers, which, according to Sven, hasn't been translated in any easy-to-find way to, to English. Oh, wow. As like an official translation. True Christianity has, but the supplemental material, apparently, according to Sven, hasn't yet been. So Sven, like David, I'm sure, translated the entire prayer from that ancient German for us and then bolded the portion that appeared on page in the movie. It's like honestly staggering yeah. the amount of work that must have taken. Incredible. Seven is the science lab partner you want, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you want that easy A. Yeah. The teacher goes, okay, you can choose your own partners. And then I lunge across the room to get to Sven first <laughs> <laughs> because... Clearly, Sven is w willing to do the work, and David as well. Yeah. If I had to choose any two lab partners, Sven and David, we're gonna right. We're gonna get that A, <laughs> and I'll try to do a little bit of work. <laughs> but not only is this amazing work from Sven and David, amazing that Villeneuve and the rest of the team bringing this movie to life would include such a niche text, but one that so deeply speaks to not only potentially Gurney's faith but also his insight into reflecting on these thoughts going into a planet <laughs> inhabited famously by vast deity-like worms. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. So good. Such a tiny detail and such great research from our listeners. Thank you, David Sven, for writing in and doing all of that work yeah. and answering our burning questions about that little, little book that Gurney is reading. So small, so little. Okay, detail number two from the movie that we wanted to briefly touch on yeah. is the Fear Hawat's adorable little parasol. Yeah. <laughs> so in that scene where the Fear and House Atreides is walking out to the uh, spice silos to inspect the equipment, right? Stephen McKinley, the actor that plays the Fear, is holding this cute little white parasol. Yeah. And we recently learned from an interview in The Hollywood Reporter a bit more about that. So here's the quote from that piece. Quote, But it was a very hot day in Hungary, and the makeup people knew that I might burn or something. So they brought me this little frilly parasol that they had. And when I was using it, Denny saw me sitting there with it, and he said, Oh, I deeply love that. Same. Then he said, How do you feel about it? And I said, Oh, you're serious. You think the fear could have this? And he said, Yes, if you don't mind. And I said, I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> I was trying to get as far away from myself as possible with this character. Mm. And so to have that and to aspire to be that human and that genteel was something that I really enjoyed. And 
quote. It's so lovely. That is adorable. It's so cute. Oh, I deeply <laughs> love that. Same. Oh, I deeply love that. <laughs> Same, bud. Can you just hear Denny saying that in his accent? Oh, my God. Uh, iconic. I need that to be my ringtone. Denny just saying, oh, I deeply, <laughs> I deeply love, love that. deeply love that you're getting a phone call right now. <laughs> so good. I love it so much. And yeah, like this iconic parasol that both of us, eyebrows shot up when we saw Thufir's beautiful little parasol. So striking, so iconic. Yeah. That it was this sort of willingness to explore Thufir's style right. is great. I mean, that's just showing that the team is flexible, but also willing to discover things about these characters that we love so much. Right. So cool. So cool. Yeah. And also that it was a really hot shoot day. And sometimes <laughs> actors get hot and sweaty. Yo, I almost sunburned just hearing about how hot it was in Hungary. So I get yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the next thing we wanted to briefly touch on, is if you are not as deeply involved in the Dune community online as we might be or as hardcore fans might be, you might not know that there have been a number of leaks. This may be too strong a word. I don't know that they're like hardcore leaks, but people have figured out that there have been scenes that were shot or scripted that didn't make it into the final film. Right. And we know what some of those scenes are through screenshots or script pages or actors like Stephen McKinley here saying it in interviews. So Leo and I wanted to briefly go through some of the scenes we know for sure could have been in the movie, but didn't make it in the final cut. Right. So first up, yeah. we know that there was a scene at some point of Gurney playing his iconic Balisette. Yeah. Which, personally for me, I would have liked to see that scene, but I don't sure. think it was critical to the film. Right. We do very briefly in the scene where Arrakis is being attacked, see the Balisette next to Gurney's bunk. Yeah, yeah. It's very much in the shadows. You have to like pause, zoom, enhance, brighten the image, <laughs> but you will see the Balisette leaning against his bed. CSI instruments, yeah. <laughs> right. Another quick scene that we hear about, and we, we've seen some photos and we've seen actors talk about it. There was a scene in which Yui gives Paul a copy of the OC Bible. Hmm. Now, obviously, that's something that happens in the book, and we don't really get a lot of Yui in this movie, but it's a moment that in the book really cements that even though Yui is the traitor against House Atreides, he does deeply care for Paul, and he does actively think about what is Paul going to need when shit hits the fan, as it's going to. Right. Because of this planning and plotting. Right. And it's really, it's a small gesture, but it's one that is built out of this ultimate compassion that is a part of Yui's character and makes him sympathetic and not just, ooh, he's an evil turncoat or whatever, right? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, speaking of Yui scenes, there's another cut scene that we know was filmed right? where Jessica and Yui are talking to each other. And apparently in that scene, Yui breaks down and gets emotional about his wife, Juana, right. and shares that with Jessica. And this does happen in the book. Early on in one of the book chapters, Jessica and Yui have a very similar emotional conversation. Right. And this is one scene where I am just heartbroken. It wasn't included. Right. It would have been short enough that it wasn't going to add a make or break amount of runtime to the movie. And it would have been so powerful and added so much depth to not only Yui, who we criminally got not enough of in this movie, right. but also it would have added depth to Jessica and shown her capacity to be this support system for the people that work for House Atreides and to just be a good friend to Yui. Right. It would have made that betrayal later on in the movie that much more impactful if we saw how close Yui and House Atreides actually were. He's not just an employee. He's not just the house doctor. He is a friend to these people. Right. He's part of the family, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, taking a quick step back, I, I'm right there with you. I wish we had this scene. And I'm just really hoping that Villeneuve does include some sort of like extended cut or here's just a separate pool of scenes that you can watch. Because I also think about the actors, you know? Yeah. Like they did those scenes. <laughs> they got into that moment. They had those feelings. They went through probably multiple takes and they went, you know, so much work went into those moments that we don't appreciate because we just don't see them. 
we see a single set photo, we hear people talk about the scenes. But I trust that what we got was good for the reason it was good, you know? So just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, totally. Another scene that we didn't get that honestly kind of blew my mind and speaks to maybe a very different way to open up the movie is we got this still image of Duncan kind of suspensering down to the desert alone. And on the subreddit, it seems as though this was confirmed to be a whole scene detailing his meeting the Fremen for the first time. So we hear him tell fellow Atreides soldiers, oh yeah, like I found them, I was in the desert for three days alone, and then they came to me to get my water, and I had to kill one of them, closest to death I've ever been. He tells us that we may have actually seen that or part of that, and whether it would have been focusing on, like, say, him in the desert alone, just to show us how brutal and harsh the desert is for a solo traveler who isn't, you know, born and raised a Fremen, whether that was the focus or the focus was a fight scene with the Fremen, we're not sure. But either way, more Duncan's good Duncan. So honestly, just wanted to point this scene out as another scene that hopefully we see at some point, but right. wasn't part of the final film. Right. And finally, we got to talk about that banquet scene. Yep. There are rumors out there that the banquet scene was at some point, at the very least, scripted in some form of the script out there. It's hard to tell if it was actually filmed. There are photographs of Jessica in what seems like formal attire in different dresses that she doesn't wear in the final cut of the film. Right. People have assumed that she's potentially dressed up for this formal banquet, but it is hard to exactly nail down if it was ever actually filmed or included. Hard to tell. Right. But rumor has it there was a banquet scene at some point and a lot. This is probably the number one critique I've heard from hardcore Dune fans. Right. The average Dune fan, I think, doesn't really care either way, but hardcore fans desperately wanted to see that banquet scene included in the film and were bummed it wasn't included. I'm actually pretty 50-50 on it. Yeah. I think the banquet scene would have been very hard to film right. and get right and translate all of what happens on the page to the screen. Right. There's too much subtext. There's too much happening inside the characters' heads to film that in, I think, in any way that makes sense on screen. Right. So I'm actually of two minds on it. I think it was probably the right call to cut the banquet scene just to keep the front half of the movie moving forward faster. Yeah, yeah. And because I just think that scene is too dense. It's an incredible scene. I get why people want it. I just think because it's so dense, it would have really both bogged down the film and made it kind of confusing because parts of it just would not translate to the average viewer who hasn't read the book. Yeah. But rumor has it that it was filmed at some point, maybe. And uh, as we keep saying, maybe we will see one or all of these cut scenes at some point in the future, whether on a special edition blu-ray release or in some extended cut of dune that we get someday right I'll, I'll say really quickly for those of you who haven't read the book the banquet scene to your point abu i get why they would cut it it doesn't progress the plot you're really just kind of getting to know some characters a little bit better but what it does that we don't get at all from the movie is it introduces you to people who live on arrakis who are like bankers and water sellers and industry men yeah in the infrastructure of Arrakis, which makes it feel like a place, <laughs> like it feels like an actual city that has a populace right. that aren't just beggars on the other side of a fence, you know? Right. And obviously we didn't get that in the movie, and that's why many of us would want it, but also it's not plot and already the movie's long anyway. So that just wanted to, you know, explain for those of you who haven't read the book. Regarding the possibility of a director cut, it, it, it's worth pointing out here that Denis Villeneuve has been very outspoken against them. Yeah. He typically asserts that as a form of art, what happens in the theater is the work of art, for better or for worse, you know, and going back and going, oh, actually, this is how I would have done it, m makes the overall work of art weaker. And that's kind of been mm. his, his stance, yeah. regardless of how we feel about it. So... <sighs> As much as we probably won't see any of these scenes anytime soon, it does seem like he's pretty firm on it. Um, you know, it's possible one day. And actually, to that point, 
the Dune Blu-ray releases on January 11th, so maybe that will have like a pool of deleted scenes or, you know, extra content behind the scenes featurettes, things like that could be pretty good. Right. The other possibility that some people have talked about somewhat cynically is that when Villeneuve has some distance and isn't as directly involved, you know, maybe he's moved on to some other IP, whoever's in charge of distributing that content will just go, ah, fuck it. We want money. Yeah. <laughs> and put it out and Villeneuve's opinions be damned. So yeah. as much as I don't want that for Villeneuve, I, I kind of want it. <laughs> I kind of want right, that to happen. Right. Yeah. And look, for the Warner Brothers executives listening. Yeah. I will give you all of my money to do that. <laughs> all of your chome holdings? Release the footage. All of my chome holdings and my Air Jordans. <laughs> nice. I'll do it, Warner Brothers. They aren't creased. Do it. Release that six-hour cut. <laughs> that, just email it to us. You know our email address. <laughs> Directly. Right. Just leak it to us. You know? <laughs> Whistleblow that shit. It's great. All right. Before this turns into another three-hour episode about the movie, <laughs> right. one last small detail about the film that we wanted to touch on before we move on today. Yep. <laughs> is uh <laughs> we fucked honestly up. <laughs> a we fucked up we fucked up a mistake on our part yeah and in my defense she's wearing a shawl it make, makes it hard to see but in that first scene where the envoy arrives and house atreides signs the comically large scroll and they get their orders to go to iraq as we assumed and discussed in our deep dive episode yeah that that benny jesuit alongside the envoy was moheim and even on a second viewing, I just didn't pay attention and was like, yeah, oh, Moheim's here. Cool. Right. Until a listener emailed us and was like, hey, guys, love the show. By the way. Uh, you guys are great. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's not Moheim in that scene. You guys keep calling her Moheim. <laughs> right. Right. And then I panicked and frantically went back and pulled up the movie on HBO and went to that scene and... Yeah, that doesn't look like Charlotte Rampling in that first scene. Right. The actor that plays Moheim. Yeah. And so that's on us. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. our mistake for mistaking the two old white women wearing the shawls that obscure their faces. <laughs> our bad. <laughs> yeah. To be clear, not the only ones to make the mistake, but yeah, it, it's an honest mistake. And with the subtitles, again, she didn't even speak. So we didn't get like subtitled this person speaking. Right. But you know what? It happens and uh, just means we hope to see more of Charlotte Rampling and Reverend Mother Guy Helen Mohan in part two. Right. She's great. She's wonderful. Maybe without the shawl so we can recognize her this time. <laughs> yeah, it is. I've heard that conversation <laughs> had where they're like, it's amazing that he got such an amazing actress and then covered her and face. Put the a whole shawl time. over it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it was perfect for her. Anyway, man. <laughs> this episode is quickly becoming a marathon. Yeah. So at that point, we'll say we're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> if there are other little details, other little things you want to talk about, about the 2021 movie, email us. You know, we probably won't do anything structured returning to that adaptation, but we're happy to do mailbag episodes in the future. Always happy to hop back into it and talk about little details here and there. Right. So. Let's talk now about part two. Yes. Part two has been confirmed. Yes. Vuvuzelas. You can put some sound effects in here, Liam. Do some <laughs> okay. fancy editing. Yeah. Six, six <laughs> Vuvuzelas or like like, like 12? As many as you want. Okay. Zero. Trust, <laughs> trust in the process. <laughs> Zero Vuvuzelas. Gotcha. Zero. That's right. how many I want. Zero is probably the right answer. <laughs> anyway, yeah. part two of the movie has been confirmed. Indeed. And we even have... A release date, October 2023. Yeah. Just a short two years away Gosh. to get the conclusion to this epic story. Yeah. So let's take a moment and let's look at some of the press around this announcement to kind of get a gauge on on what's to come, right. what we can expect from this. And of course, as always, avoiding spoilers. Right. <laughs> no uh, Dumbledore killing Palpatine. Uh, right. Spoilers here. Yeah, exactly. So let's go over some of the press coverage of Dune Part 2, right. which is, you know, obviously we're two years away. There's not a whole lot of it, and we're not going to lean too hard into rumor and speculation. Sure. But let's touch on some of the things we do know. Yeah. So to start off, 
we have an interview with Roger Yuan, who is the fight coordinator for the movie. He actually appears in a bunch of scenes as well. Um, he plays an Atreides guard. And, you know, the scene where Duncan's explaining meeting the Fremen, he's there in the room. Um, his character's named <laughs> Lieutenant Lanville is the name of his character. Ah. And without saying too much, of course, again, we're avoiding any kind of plot things. In an interview in March 2021, so earlier this year, way before the movie even came out, he said in part two, he's involved in a gladiatorial fight. Mm. And this doesn't have anything to do with Paul or kind of main plot stuff. But just for those of us who read the book, this is a scene that many of us kind of thought maybe would get cut. And it's not by any stretch of the imagination a guarantee that we're going to get this scene. I mean, again, if anything, we now know, now that part one is out, that many scenes end up on the cutting room floor. But to know that this gladiatorial fight will happen is very exciting and definitely has its implications. Right. Book readers out there, if you know, you know. Indeed. We also got an interview from Denny himself for, I'm going to butcher this, El Bernardo de Republica. That sounded good. And in that interview, Villeneuve said that Johnny is going to play a more prominent role in part two. Yeah. Obviously, more Zendaya is best Zendaya. Indeed. So this is great news. And Johnny's role was pretty minimal in part one, despite how much she was involved in the marketing. Right. Of course, when you have Zendaya in your movie, you market her. Yeah. Makes sense. What's exciting is knowing that Denny is going to give Johnny a more prominent role in part two. Right. Because in the book... While she does play a big role in Paul's life without going into any specific spoiler territory, she still is not this like sort of primary protagonist character. And it'll be interesting to see how Denny sort of punches up her scenes or gives her more scenes and more to play with in part two. Right. Alongside Paul and the rest of the cast that we know and love. Right. Now, more generally, regarding kind of future movies and his career... Villeneuve said in an interview with MSN, and this is regarding like, what do you want to do after part two, basically, was like the general question. Quote, I feel that now that I've had the once in a lifetime chance to bring one of my oldest dreams to life, which is Dune. If things go well with part two, I could foresee the idea of maybe doing a third movie, Dune Messiah. That would make sense to me. End quote. And Boy, is that exciting. <laughs> Makes sense to me, too. Makes sense to me, too, Denny. Do it. Do it. Uh, I mean, without saying anything about plot, the events of Dune Messiah, which is the sequel book to Dune, are so pivotal and so important to the main themes around this story, where it really fully explores some of these characters in a way that the first book just frankly didn't. Yeah. I mean, so much so that like myself, and, and I think you too, Abu, we really kind of consider Dune Messiah required reading. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you read Dune, you kind of got to read Messiah it, just because of the way that it relates to those first themes. Yeah. A third movie would round out a trilogy beautifully and also does mean for us <laughs> another, I don't know, four years, five years of Dune content. Right. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. No, this is incredibly exciting news from Denny. Like, if this is what he has in mind, to do a Dune trilogy that covers the first book and the second book, I think that's perfect. Yeah. That is exactly what I want from my Dune film adaptation. Exactly. Yeah. I know there are folks out there that will disagree with me. There are folks out there that want to get into later books, God Emperor of Dune, Heretics. They want to see the rest of the trilogy adapted in some way. Right. And we may still see that. Right. Yeah. Whether it's HBO TV shows or other mediums, comic books. But I think as a film series under Denny Villeneuve, it only makes sense to go through Dune Messiah, make it a trilogy, package it as a trilogy and sell it that way. Right. It is just so perfect. And like you said, Leo, we consider Dune Messiah required reading right. because it is so important to some of the themes that crop up in the first book. Yeah. I think Denny recognizes this as well. I don't have the exact quote, but I remember reading an interview with him where he basically said the same thing, where he's like, yeah, no, the story of Dune almost isn't complete until you read Messiah as well. Yeah. 
he recognizes that he's a big Dune fan. He knows that. And I think it would be perfect to get the Dune trilogy from Denis Villeneuve, Dune Part 1, Dune Part 2, Dune Messiah, and round it out. Yeah, you're right. Sounds absolutely perfect. And, you know, maybe 20 years from now, someone else will revisit the adaptations and maybe they'll take it further. But you're right. I think I want to see Villeneuve's ideas in like a digestible package without it being some sprawling, ongoing endeavor, you know? Right. And look, the the Dune Extended Universe, the DCU, which, okay, that's already taken now that I said that out loud, I realize. Damn it. Damn you, DC Comics. Well, we'll come up with a name for it. Well, isn't that the DCCU? The DCCU? Right, right. DC. Uh, it's still too it's still too close you know branding is tough branding is tough yeah branding's hard that'll be confusing for the average viewer anyway the dune (laughs) cinematic universe the dune extended universe is a thing it's going to be a thing if warner brothers wants to make money for the next decade plus they will invest money into it and make it a thing right which they are and i think denny kicking it off with this trilogy film is the perfect way to do that right right and for the folks that want more there will be more. We promise you. <laughs> yeah. it, it is going to happen if these executives at Warner Brothers, if these big production companies want to keep making money. Yeah. Dune is a franchise that will sell <laughs> and make lots of people lots of money if they're willing to invest into it. And so it's here, folks. Like we said at the top of the episode, Yeah, there has never been a better time to be a Dune fan. And we're just excited for the ride. Indeed. To be clear, there are four more books after Messiah. but. Again, we're not going to count on anything yet. There's many years to come. And we're going to leave part two there and take a quick break. So hang around. When we're back, we're going to talk about television, video games, and more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, folks. Yeah. Let's jump into that Dune extended universe that we keep teasing out (laughs) because there is much more Dune beyond just the film adaptations. If you're willing to dive deep first into the Duneiverse, there is plenty to consume. Indeed. So let's go over some of the things that are currently rolling out now and some of the things that we know we'll be getting in 2022 and beyond. Right. So let's start with TV. Because there is a TV show in the works, Leo. Yeah. Uh, On HBO. Gosh, the next Game of Thrones. They've said a million times about (laughs) a million shows. But maybe this time. It's like podcasters saying, this is my cereal. This is, (laughs) right. You know? And everyone goes, "Mm mm-hmm. And my eyes roll into the back of my head like, you don't get it, my guy. Listen, they're just trying to manifest that energy, (laughs) you know? Well, yes. So back in 2019... HBO officially greenlit a direct-to-streaming series called Dune the Sisterhood, Mm. which focuses in on, as you maybe can imagine, the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood. Right. And uh, I would say that's pretty much all we have total confirmation about (laughs) (laughs) since 2019. Thanks for listening, folks. The news about this show has been pretty quiet. Yeah. And the last sort of major thing we heard about the show was that the development team was actually juggling showrunners. Right. So we learned actually just this year before the Dune movie came out that writer John Spates, who worked alongside Denny in creating the Dune film, stepped down as showrunner for Dune Sisterhood, this HBO show. Right. And HBO then tapped Diane Ademu-John. I think I totally butchered her name. I'm so sorry, Diane. (laughs) As the new showrunner for Dune Sisterhood. Yeah. And if you don't recognize Diane's name, she actually worked recently on executive producer and writer on Netflix horror series, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Nice. Shows like Empire, The Originals. Okay. 
The Vampire Diaries at the CW, and Medium and Crossing Jordan at NBC. There we go. So, so she's got some writing chops. Yeah, no kidding. Man, that's, that is a track record. Pretty good. Yeah. Now, the show itself, again, we know very little about what the show will entail beyond having learned that the showrunners have changed. Right. But we do know that it'll focus on the Benny Gesserit sisterhood, as is implied in the name. Right. And one possibility for what they cover and how they cover it is a potential adaptation of Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson's 2012 book, Sisterhood of Doom. Right. There's no confirmation that they do plan to adapt it, but it's hard to believe that they wouldn't at least draw inspiration from that book. Yeah. To be clear, so this book by Brian Herbert, son of Frank Herbert, who started writing prequels and sequel series to Frank's original six books in the 90s. Uh, so it's like late 90s and still today, he's still writing books. Yeah. The Sisterhood of Dune follows members of the Great Houses in the century following the Butlerian Jihad, which is about 10,000 years before Dune happens um, and is the reason there are no computers in the Dune universe. Of course, the story is centered around the Bene Gesserits as they kind of seek to find a reliable way to awaken the Reverend Mother capabilities yeah. that Gaius Helen Moheim has. You right. know, in this. And you've actually read some of the book. I haven't. What were your, what were your thoughts? <laughs> I tried. I, I'll be clear. The, the book isn't awful. Um, it's not great. Mm. And honestly, where Frank Herbert's writing is often poetic and delicate and handles the universe in this great nuanced, there isn't really evil. I don't know. There was always nuance to Frank's world. Brian's writing is typically a lot of cliches, some very like shallow sci-fi tropes that I was like rolling my eyes or predicting almost beat for beat what was going to happen in the next scene. And it was really a pain to get through. And then there was a, mm. uh, there were just a few dramatic beats that really made me not want to keep reading. And I'm old enough now where when that happens, I just stop reading. <laughs> so <laughs> Bold. I know. I'm still not quite old enough to do that. I have forced myself through many a terrible <laughs> book. Well, I'm significantly older than you, so <laughs> works out. In an entirely different stage of life, true. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I will say that very briefly, the Warner Media website said explicitly that Dune, the Sisterhood, would be an adaptation, but it was also then pretty much immediately removed. So mm. it's possible that that was, I don't know, some intern at Warner Media just like copy and pasted or got the wrong memo. It's possible it was a mistake. Also possible that it was just a detail revealed too soon. Again, with the right people in charge, pretty much anything can be great. But it is my hope that it is either dodging some of those like cliched heavy-handed plot points or maybe melding some of that lore and saying this is a good starting point let's refine it and make it as good as it can be you know yeah that's my assumption i think they will take some loose inspiration from brian's book right but i hope they stick more strongly to denny's vision of the benny Gesserit that we saw in the movie right and of course to frank's original vision of the benny Gesserit in the first six books. Right. And there's plenty to talk about, right? Like a show about the Bene Gesserit is a great idea. Yeah, totally. And there is so much lore there to explore. Right. In a TV show about this mysterious sisterhood that's been around for thousands of years, for generations. Right. But that is something the show will have to grapple with as well. There's a lot of Bene Gesserit lore, both in Frank's original work in the Dune Encyclopedia and in the expanded stuff that Brian has worked on. And I think the smart thing to do for the show would be to take the best parts of all three of those. Right. Yeah. Now, if you get through, you know, you're reading the books, waiting for these movies and TV shows we're talking about. If you get through the first three books, Dune, Dune Messiah, and Children of Dune, I actually wanted to shout out the sci-fi miniseries. First, I think it was called Frank Herbert's Dune, or maybe just Dune. And then there was uh, Children of Dune, which kind of completed that three-book series. I 
love it. <laughs> I think it's excellent. And we will be talking about it on a future episode. Besides the fact that like production quality is at times really just spectacular. It feels wonderful. It's just tremendously faithful to the text and is a blast. Like line reads can be a little bit clunky and sometimes the faithfulness to the book gets in the way of it being like a smooth, realistic thing, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So if you finish the first three books and you haven't yet watched the sci-fi miniseries, I recommend it. We'll talk about it later. Um, and if you haven't read those books yet, we'll be doing book clubs for them. That's right. So join us. We'll get through them together. And then we'll uh, talk about the sci-fi miniseries. Of course. Fair warning. It is like impossible to find that miniseries anywhere. It's not on streaming. You have to like hunt down the DVDs of it on the internet. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a bit. It's a lot. <laughs> so best of luck. <laughs> or, you know, find it through your local Arrakis smuggler through smuggling <laughs> the means. The websites. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Okay. That covers film and TV. Right. Let's blast through some other quick things in the Dune universe that we want to talk about. Namely, video games, board games, card games, and comic books. Right. Just some extended stuff. So let's start with video games, because we do have confirmation that uh, video games are in the works, which is exciting. Yeah. Well, to be clear, there are actually Already five licensed Dune video games, although like three of them are the same game. And we'll talk about those at some point in a future episode. But just to kind of list them out, we have the first Dune game called Dune from 1992. We have Dune 2, which came out also in 1992. <laughs> it's like a wild year for Dune video games. Then we have Dune 2000, which hilariously was released in 1998. <laughs> we have Emperor Battle for Dune from 2001 and Frank Herbert's Dune, also from 2001. And then nothing for 20 years. Right. Nothing. It's wild. A bit of a dry spell. Bit of a dry spell. I'll actually point out some of those games are still a lot of fun to play, which is cool. Although, play with caution, some of them spoil the first book. Anyway, it has been a while. It has been a dry spell since. A game developer tackled this, and in 2019, it was announced that the game developer Funcom acquired rights to develop a game, and not just one game. And this is fucking mind-blowing. Funcom announced a six-year deal with Legendary. That's wild. To make at least three games based on Dune. How? <laughs> how three games <laughs> so i'm demanding a dating sim oh yeah i'm demanding a new rts i want stardew valley but dune oh. i don't know oh my god i want them all yeah please give us all of those i will say looking at funcom's previous endeavors sure i wouldn't necessarily get your hopes up about massive triple a sure sure set the bar video games right uh funcom is pretty much just known for their like adaptations of other other things uh, other ips yeah yeah and they're not super known for um original works and they're not big in the gaming industry so as excited as we might be about these upcoming dune video games they might unfortunately fall under the umbrella of oh this is like a cash grab ip adaptation that a lot of companies do yeah and like we talked about warner brothers is out here trying to make money and so sure they're going to pay a developer to make some Dune video games they can make some money off of. Yeah. You know, it, it's a totally fair point. The, the, their last game, Conan, I think was their like last kind of bigger game, wasn't like super well received, which is fine. Again, it, sometimes it takes the right inspiration. It has also been reported on December 1st that the German developer Nuclear is uh, co-developing the game. They've been brought on. So... As of right now, recording, that's like less than a week ago that that was announced. From that press release, we actually have a little excerpt. Quote, The untitled project will take inspiration from Funcom's most successful title, Conan Exiles, and will be an online multiplayer survival game. After investment from Tencent, the Dune project greatly expanded its scope, and Nuclear has been brought on to assist in completing it. End quote. So, you're right. Again, this could be just a shallow cash grab. 
I'm at that stage of Dune fandom where I don't care. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I will play the hell out of anything. I got cash. Go ahead and grab it. Grab away. <laughs> this could be a McDonald's happy toy game. <laughs> you know, one of those two button bullshit things that breaks after a week. I would love it to death. I'd put 80 hours into it, you know. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, to f- the fact that we have production news and development news from less than a week ago is, I think, a good sign towards movement. And although that first game is rumored to be that online multiplayer, even to your point about it being kind of a cash grabby thing, to reskin an old RTS structure to make it look a little better, you know, updated graphics, things like that. There are some great games from the 90s that would be easy enough to just reskin. Do that. Make it more accessible. Make it easy to find. Make it easy to download. I think that I would be happy as a clam. Yeah. HD remake of that old Dune RTS. Yeah. I'd play it. Hell yeah. All right. Moving on from video games, let's talk about comic books. At the moment, there are currently four ongoing or announced new comic books in the Dune universe. Wow. Yeah. One of which we have already been covering on this podcast. So if you have uh-huh. been listening to all of our episodes, <laughs> you you already know probably way too much about Dune House of Trades. Yep. Which is a 12-issue adaptation of Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson's prequel novel right. of the same name. Right. So that, of course, we've been covering on this podcast, and you may or may not be reading along, but that 12-issue run by the time you hear this episode, I believe will be complete. So you could read that in its entirety if you were so inclined. Right. Now, there's also another comic book out called Dune, the graphic novel. And as the name implies with this one, this is a more one-for-one adaptation of the book. It's basically taking the story of the first Dune book and turning it into a comic book adaptation. Right. This is pretty common. The Thrawn series also has books. And comic books, I've read both of them. They're both excellent. This Dune graphic novel is planned for a three-volume run, and currently the first volume is out now, and the second volume will come out in 2022. Right. So it's taking the book a chunk at a time, one-third at a time, in comic book format. Yeah. Another series that is ongoing is Dune Blood of the Sardaukar, which, once again, is a Brian-slash-Kevin adaptation of one of their stories. And this one is fairly new. I believe only issue one is out so far. I have actually read issue one. Sure, yeah. I wasn't exactly the biggest fan. We may or may not touch on this comic book in the future on the podcast, but it shares a lot of the same DNA with House of Trades. So a lot of the issues, Leo, you and I have had with House of Trades, I also had with Blood of the Sardaukar, but that's neither here nor there. Put a pin in that thought. Right. Finally, the fourth comic that's worth noting is one that has yet to come out, but has been announced, Dune, A Whisper of Kaladin, which will be released on December 29th. And say it with me, folks, it is another Brian slash Kevin thing. (laughs) It is another Brian slash Kevin thing. There you go. Yeah. And uh, yes, you are all noticing a trend. We are noticing a trend as well. Yeah. I mean, to your point about like whether or not we'll talk about it. Right. We are... Going to finish up House Atreides. We've at least committed to that. <laughs> we have at least committed to that. And uh, it always feels a little weird to be on mic and to be very critical of something. So we've kind of had a mixed experience of that production process. But honestly, we will talk about it if y'all want us to talk about it. So right, let us know. Uh, if you read House Atreides or if you read House Atreides, listen to our episodes. If you enjoy those episodes... We're happy to make them, and we love you. <laughs> so we'll right. do more. We'll read all of. We're going to read them anyway. Um, we might not enjoy them, <laughs> but we'll we'll we're going to be reading them. So if you want us to talk about them, let us know. Uh, just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, definitely. If you want that comic book coverage, let us know. Now let's talk briefly about board games, which is to say there are some board games, <laughs> right? And At this moment, there are three noteworthy ones. And walk me through these, Abu, because I've only seen some pictures. You know, we we kind of talked about buying a few of them and making like a habit of board game night. But yeah, tell me about these. Right. And then the pandemic happened and we couldn't see each other for almost two years. Ah. So, yeah, 
the board games that I'm going to name here, I don't frankly know much about. I'm not a huge board game person. Sure. I love the occasional board game night with friends, but I'm not like hardcore into the board gaming world. So listeners, this is a call out for you. Let us know which one of these we should play and talk about on this podcast. Right. First up, there are two board games from a company called Gale Force 9. One is simply called Dune. And this, I believe, is actually sort of an updated reskin of an older game that came out a few decades ago. Right. Sort of a tie-in board game to Dune. And that now it has been updated to match more closely with the art and vision of Denny and the new film. Right. So that's one board game from Gale Force 9. And the other one they've released is Dune Betrayal. Now, another board game from a different company called Dire World Digital is called Dune Imperium. Mm. And finally, the third one is actually a D&D style role-playing game by Modifius Entertainment called Dune Adventures in the Imperium. This is more for you uh, RPG D&D folks. It is a D&D style rule book to play out a uh, Dune RPG with your friends. I will say about the D&D game, you can actually order like a free starter PDF and it's just, it's like, you know, a breakdown of certain character types and like some of the base mechanics of the game. And I downloaded it just out of curiosity. Yeah. But it just for the art alone is just unbelievably gorgeous. So could be worth looking into if you're a D&D fan. Yeah. Or even if you just are a collector of pretty things. Right, right. As a very casual board game person, yeah. the number one thing that will convince me to buy a board game is not if the gameplay looks fun or if it's interesting. It's the art. Yep. <laughs> if the pieces look gorgeous, yeah. if the artwork on the cards is beautiful, if the box art is incredible, I'll be like, I don't know. This is probably not fun to play and none of my friends will want to play with me, but I'm going to buy it. Yeah. And all of, all of these games do look gorgeous. I'm tempted to buy all of them simply because of all that great Dune art. Yeah, no kidding. But on that note, the final thing, again, we'll repeat about these board games is Leo and I don't have them and we haven't played them. But if you have, email us, gomjbarpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if we should play these, which ones, all of them, one of them, none of them, which ones should we play with each other and which ones should we force our friends and family to play with us. And uh, of course, if you're interested, we can talk about them on the podcast as well. So reach out to us about these board games and let us know. Indeed. Okay, Leo, your favorite part. <laughs> Tell us about the Dune trading card game. Okay. Well, this is <laughs> maybe a little bit confessional time. You're in a safe space. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. If I were to measure the number of hours between discovering that there's an out-of-print 1990s Dune collectible card game and me spending hundreds of dollars on it. It was like 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is to say, it's out of print. I mean, again, you can see them on eBay. It's Eye of the Storm is like the base set. And then there was Judge of the Change and uh, Twilight Assault, I think, or, or something Twilight. Thunder at Twilight, I think. But basically, I only wanted to bring this up in as much as if you are a collectible card fanatic, hit me up. Give me the hot tips on how to find these cards. <laughs> I've committed to browsing flea markets and stuff moving forward indefinitely. But uh, I am hopeful. I have no reason to think this. But with how hot Pokemon cards have become and like how hot certain trading cards and collectible cards have become, I'm honestly like, guys, three movies, HBO miniseries, bring back Dune cards. I want them. Right. They're, right. so, they're so good. So anyway, just wanted to very briefly say, if you're out there in listener land and you love the Eye of the Storm collectible card game, I'm right there with you. Solidarity. You've got a you've got a name in me. You got and, a uh, name in me. <laughs> you got shit. a name in me. <laughs> <laughs> it is an addiction, uh, but nevertheless, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, worse things have happened. Right. Okay, let's wrap up this episode. One last thing that we frankly should mention. Yeah, sure. Is there are also more Dune books out there. Yeah. Leo, you, you mentioned earlier that Brian Herbert, Frank Sun, and Kevin J. Anderson have worked together since the 
90s yeah. to release Dune prequels and sequels and all these sort of extended Dune books that expand on the universe. That will continue. Yeah. They are still releasing new books. Currently, they're releasing a series called the Kaladin Trilogy, the first of which is out, and I believe the second about Lady Jessica is out or is coming out soon. Right. So there are more books beyond the original six that Frank wrote before his death. Fair warning, and to be honest, our opinion of Brian's work sure. with the Dune universe is uh, not great. <laughs> mixed. <laughs> it mixed, yeah. it mixed is maybe the right word. Yeah. A lot of his work directly contradicts the established lore from Frank's original six books, and we're not a fan of that. Right. It also contradicts a lot of what's in the Dune Encyclopedia, which canonically speaking is kind of iffy, but had Frank's blessing from back when it first came out. So on this podcast, we've mentioned before, as far as like canon goes, we consider Frank's word absolute law. Yeah. And then we consider the Dune Encyclopedia an extension of Frank's lore. Yeah. And then when it comes to Brian's work, it kind of veers anywhere from quote unquote, like extended canon to straight up fan fiction yeah it's tough because we get this question periodically of like why do you rank the encyclopedia higher than brian's books yeah when brian has all legal claim to the estate but it just really comes down to the fact that the dune encyclopedia doesn't disagree with frank's writings right at all it's very harmonious exactly it works yeah. with frank's lore and canon and brian chose to not do that not be harmonious with the established canon and then <laughs> uh, go ahead and contradict it in many ways too. So it's just, yeah, it's tough. It is tough. Yeah. The, the, the short answer is just that Dune lore is very messy and there is no right or wrong established canon. Yeah. Yeah. And Dune lore is whatever you'd like it to be. If you're a fan of the Brian books and you like the way he investigates the expanded universe, more power to you. Yeah, for sure. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we just are not the biggest fans of his work. Yeah. Okay. So to wrap up today's episode, which has gone on so incredibly long, I don't know how we do this every time. I don't know. We just love Dune so much, folks. We do. That is what we can expect from the Dune universe going into the next year. And as we ramp up and start building hype, get on that hype train. Indeed. For Dune Part 2 coming in 2023. It's going to be a fun next few years of Dune content. We hope you will be joining us for the ride along the way. Many of the things we've talked about on today's episode, we will be covering on this podcast. We will continue talking and geeking out about Dune with all of you. And of course, we hope to get more Dune stuff. We've said it once, we've said it twice, and I'll say it a third time again. <laughs> there is no better time to be a Dune fan than right now. Yeah, We are at peak Dune fandom, and it's growing, and it's exciting, and it's a pleasure to geek out about it every week with you, Leo, yeah, and with our amazing listeners in our community and our Discord members. It's a blast to geek, geek out about all of this stuff, and I can't wait to just dig my nails into every Dune piece of content that comes out over the next couple of years. I'm right there with you, bud. It's great. It's a good time. Good time to be walking the sands of Arrakis. Now, as a quick last bit of uh, housekeeping, from us here at Gamjabar, uh, we are going to take a brief, brief, brief break for the holidays uh, from December 17th to January 7th. We'll be returning with a deep dive episode then. So until then, until we're back from that brief break, and really, I say break, I'm just going to be writing scripts and doing research and right. working. Right. We don't really believe in slowing down or taking care of our mental and physical health. So it's really going to be time to just plan more content for next I, year. <laughs> see, I, physical, mental health. I know what those words mean separately. Right. You're saying they have a meaning together? I just parroted what I hear other people online say. So <laughs> what people yell at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take care of yourselves. I don't know what that means. Right. I have more books to read. Right. Did you say more Dune? All I heard was more Dune. <laughs> All I heard was more Dune. <laughs> cool. More Dune. Gotcha. So anyway, from us here at Gamjabar, stay warm this season. We're going into winter. Stay warm. Maintain that body moisture. Stay safe. <laughs> do drugs. <laughs> no, don't do drugs. <laughs> do drugs. Do drugs. No, don't do drugs. No, I'm joking. No. 
A little bit. Do drugs. Do drugs. <laughs> Don't do, no, no, no. Don't do drugs. I'm kidding. It's a right. Dune joke. It's all about drugs. <laughs> right. Samuta. We'll see you in January, folks. Take care. Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. About being the food of worms. <laughs> Incredible Those stuff. Those people just weren't praying enough is my analysis of that. They weren't They weren't what? <laughs> they weren't praying enough. They weren't saying this prayer. I, I heard wearing enough and I was like, yeah, cover up, <laughs> you hussies. <laughs> Those dirty little Harkonnens. Anyway. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs>